Hola, ¿cómo estás? I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a glorious little 30-minute conversation with a brilliant expert or person uh, to learn all about something that makes me curious. This week, I'm freaking out. I'm speaking with a sitting senator, honey. It's the first time I've ever done this. So welcome, Wisconsin's very own Tammy Baldwin. We discuss how she became the first LGBTQ senator in history, her work fighting for healthcare, and finding your voice. Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm really excited. This is a day of firsts. We're interviewing like our first senator ever. Um, welcome to the podcast, Miss Tammy Baldwin. Thank you so much. Um, thank I you. I can't tell you how excited I am. To be really? Here. Yes. I'm nervous. As soon as I began to say your name, I was like, oh my God, don't mess. I mess up people's names a lot accidentally at the beginning of Getting Curious. I All of a sudden, my heart just beats fast. And I. it's like falling when you're figure skating. Like you, you send a message to your foot, but it doesn't get it, and your the foot's already yeah. moving, but and then you fall. And How's that's, that going, by the way? I'm in one piece. I've got a couple bruises mending, but you know, I, I, I good, really good, really, really good. Thanks for excellent. asking. Oh, wow, excellent. Wow. Um, so thank you very much for being here for advocating. If you guys don't know who um, Senator Tammy, Ball- well, do you want to? Well, I'll do it so you don't have to like name drop yourself. You're. A senator for the gorgeous state of Wisconsin. Yes. And you're the first... No, you name drop it. The first openly LGBTQ member of the United States Senate in the history of the Senate. Wow. So, since 1789. Wow. But I know that I'm leaping way okay, ahead. 17... But last November 6th, we doubled the number of openly LGBTQ members of the Senate when I was joined by Senator Cinema of Arizona. Uh, we thank the good Lord or uh, Lord S or Buddha or Allah, all of them, thank every single one for that win. We needed that. But now we have Mick Sally, who's the, in the appointed spot for the other one, right? Yes. So, and because that was McCain. That was John McCain's Senate. Yes, yes. Yes. And so she got appointed to fill that one when she didn't. Win. Win. So we doubled our numbers. That's great. I was I got to, the honor to meet Sharice Davids and campaign for her when I was yes. in Kansas City. She's amazing. She is. I think it is just, I think so much of my time growing up on the Mississippi River and so much of that, like how much I heard, like, I love you. I just don't approve of your lifestyle. And in the age of Doma and being like a young boy, like, I can't believe I'm here interviewing an open member of our community who's a United States senator. First time ever. But you know what? That made me beg the question very first that mm-hmm. came into my mind, which is also a gentle left and completely, well, it could be controversial. Um, I wonder if you really, you're definitely the first open one, but I wonder if there ever was like a baby senator who like wasn't, we didn't even know. Like, what if like one of our founding father senators from like Rhode Island in like the 1800s was, we just didn't even know. Like a random little undercover, cute little like gay senator story from like in the day. Absolutely. <gasps> I need to get curious about that and investigate. Ask I just love gay stories. I love gay stories, you know? Well, I, I will tell you one that um, okay. reminds me of. So, if you ask most people, even who are pretty informed in the LGBTQ community, who was the first openly gay elected official? Harvey Milk. He was third. Ooh. At least third. Second was Elaine Noble. She was a state representative in Massachusetts. Uh. And just about a few months before her was Kathy Kozachenko. I think I got the name right, who was elected to the city council of Ann Arbor, Michigan in the spring of 1974. The same spring that Nixon got resigned. There was a lot of change. In the the era then. Yes. That kind of does fast forward us to here, which I have been talking about this a lot because I listened to Bagman and it really blew my mind. Did you listen to Bagman? It's Rachel Maddow. It's about Spiru Agnew and the whole... I heard it being promoted and everyone talks about it. I didn't... Did you know this story? Like, do you know about this? Only through her retelling it partly on her show. Yeah. So, like, she... Well, he had this whole pay-for-play system. He was the vice president. Spoiler alert. He had... It was a constitutional crisis because they had to get him out of town before they forced Nixon to resign because... 
you know, you couldn't have like a crook in the literal vice presidency, like when you were about to get the president to resign, because it was like dueling horrific scandals. And what was most interesting about it was, is that the Department of Justice was Republican ran, Republican appointed, you know, getting rid of their own guys. So that was like, you know, American patriotism at her best, you know, defying like your, you know, the party heads and doing what's a right, you know, hope that happens. Fingers crossed. We'll see. Where were you when Michael Cohen happened? Were you just, like, saving the country, doing, like, some legislation that day? Well, that depends on what day you think Michael Cohen happened. Because, you know, there was the raid of apartment oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. hotel. And, oh, you know, yeah. I remember, <laughs> like, it coming up as an alert on my phone. And then, you know, he did his testimony. He did a day of testimony before the House Intel Committee that wasn't uh, televised, then he did the televised, then he did another one, and oh, then and he they came had back four again. private ones too, right? Yeah. So, um, but yes, I felt I was... like that public hearing one, like the one that you know yeah. we all clutched our pearls on with, like the thirty-minute opening, like that to me felt similar to when I was like in my dad's like nineteen eighty-seven like tan truck, listening to like Clinton get impeached on NPR. Mm-hmm. Like when the two articles went through and I was like, wow, I felt like that was like a day of American history that like I'll never forget like where I was just because even though there wasn't any new information to have this person like I I don't know. I was really blown away by it. Was your first elected office is it was in Congress, right? No, no. So I was first elected to local office, local office. So important. Yes. The Dane County Board of Supervisors in 1986, when I was 24 years old. You can do the math. Oh, my God. Good for you. So you've been, like, into, like, legislation and, like, has been, like, interesting to you since, like, you were, like, grown, like, how did you get into it? So the first, okay, now I'm going to tell a childhood story, but the, the, the first spark I ever remember of, like, wow, would this ever be fulfilling was middle school student council. <laughs> and Cute. I know. And I got elected to the student council and we were working all these projects and I could tell that I wasn't even then too young to make a positive difference. And I'm not going to go into all the stories because we don't have all day. But um, and then from the standpoint of why I, you know, why I got in, Um, sort of having had that experience of, you know, I could help shape positive change. Um, Really, it was the issue of health care that got me into political office. Um, When I was a kid, I had a serious childhood illness. Um, I was being raised by my maternal grandparents. And they had a family insurance plan, but somehow or other, it, you know, didn't cover grandchildren because I wasn't a Uh. legal dependent. So I was hospitalized for three months. And then there was all this, you know, as I understand it, of course, they didn't burden me with this. They wouldn't, you know, I was trying to get better. But I learned later on that there was a lot of controversy between the hospital and the insurance company and my grandparents. Um, And then they said, let's fix this. Let's get our granddaughter health insurance. And I was a child with a pre-existing health condition then, and so I had most of my youth without health health insurance until I was an adult and could get it through either work or school. And I thought that was wrong, and I said, I want to be a part of changing this, and then I had my you know, middle school student council experience, and I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run and try to do something. So your first moment was Board of Supervisors, which yeah. in like 15 seconds or less, because I'm so fascinated right now, and I have a billion questions, but this one's important. What do Board of Supervisors do? I was always curious about that. So in Wisconsin, they run the county government. Um, there's a county elected county executive who's like, you know, if it were a state, that would be the governor, um, but elected county executive who does the executive branch stuff. And then in Wisconsin, we have these huge county boards. So it was like a mini legislature. So I kind of you know, at that point started um, learning a lot about these, um, you know, the issues. And so it has a public health department. It it helps people with um, who have uh, 
mental illness or addiction. Um, it it uh, in the human services, child protective services. Um, so there's a lot of health and social services uh, responsibilities. Um, zoning outside of cities. Um, does that have an impact, or like, does that have anything to do with like, uh, like districting, like to? Or is that more like the state legislature because they do that like in the census and stuff? Um, no, it it when you redraw the county board districts, the county board does it. Yeah, uh huh. Uh-huh. And then, but it has to sort of you know also fit with the other puzzle pieces. And boy, do we know something about um, gerrymandering in Wisconsin? It's a horrible situation right now. And there's a lot of states that I think are really messed up on some gerrymandering, but. Um, the other thing that's interesting about local government and state legislatures, I'm really into state legislature because, like, yeah. honey, the Republicans just, like, really, like, you know, not to blanket statement people, but they really just, like, sorted out that Republican legislature, like, in that 2010 midterm. And my word, I learned a lot of, a lot, a lot about it last year when I interviewed this amazing uh, uh, organization called Sister District. And, um, yeah, it was, it was really fascinating. But so many of our legislatures that come up to be senators or presidents, like, were originally, like, either at state ledge or county or had, like, some more local, like, elected yes. office. And I think that's great because it gives you an idea of, like, so you went county or you went that? County, state assembly. House of Representatives, Senate. So you did all that. I did. So much experience. <laughs> have you, I should have researched this before. I, have you ever lost? Um, high school, college elections, but not since I ran for the county board. Slow clap girl. At least you got those losses out of your way when they didn't really matter, queen. But did that like hurt your little baby heart then? Like did or did it teach you some lessons? Like what did you learn about like dealing with loss from those experiences? If at first you don't succeed, try try again. Ooh, that is gorgeous sage advice. Now here's my next question, which is also but this this is good, it's fine. I feel like uh like I need to like make sure that you know that every question I'm about to ask is like gonna be okay like before I've asked it because I'm like, oh my god, like don't freak out, it's gonna be fine. But uh, I just have questions. So do you notice being in the legislature now, like with Trump as president, because of all of the like extra just noise that he makes like is it making it harder like was it harder versus like uh an obama and i guess during bush were you in the were you in state assembly by then or congress congress so you've had I experience came into with the house in the last two years of the bush clinton administration. oh shit you did yeah work so 99 and 2000 wow what a time to so- be alive you yeah. did that in 99. Pre-Y2K, you have been in the legislature. I'm sorry in to keep interrupting. Yes, kidding. yes. Wow. Wow. Wait, were you there during the impeachment then? Or um, it was just after that? Because that was Just in... after. That yeah. Kenneth Starr. He was... Talk about a witch hunt. I mean... I mean, was he... A li... That bill was a little bit of a dirty birdie, but he did not, you know, do fake deals with North Korea and embezzle money from... God knows where. <laughs> and also, you know what else I've realized? This is really bad of me. I do this with, like, men that I'm attracted to and, like, lady politicians who I like their style. Um, I believe more if I'm, if they, if they, ah, which leads me back to Bernie. I should actually really get that out of my head. Because sometimes people can look all sorts of ways, but you got to, like, listen to what they're saying. But anyway, back to you. The extra noise of Donald Trump. Is it making it harder to legislate and, like, get work done? So let me start by saying that if you look at the media coverage of politics, you always see it kind of go towards, um, you know, if, if, it, um, if it bleeds, it leads. Isn't that the old saying in journalism? You know, that, that. and so I never heard that. Really? Oh. So if it's messier, like it's... Chaotic, whatever. So, and if you want to sell ads on television, uh, you want things that are going to captivate the viewer. So it is really not unusual to see news coverage of the controversy and very little coverage of um, bipartisan, spirited cooperation and negotiation. And so a lot of people think that it doesn't even happen anymore, which isn't true, but I do think it happens less so. And so to answer your 
to get to finally answer your question, um, yeah, there's nonstop coverage of the Mueller investigation and Michael Cohen's testimony and Paul Manafort's sentencing and, you know, so forth and so on. And in the meantime, we are spending a lot of time also working on things to make the country stronger, uh, to make people's lives better, to further the arc towards justice and fairness and equality and making, you know, respecting the dignity of hard work and hard workers and, you know, healthcare, trying to make sure that everyone has access that they can afford. Well, I was really relieved to see the Senate, like, defend the Affordable Care Act, you know, prior to midterms. I thought that was really, we saw some Republicans with backbone, like, step up to the plate and do what was right. And I hope that that happens when, you know, the vote for the end of the national emergency uh, declaration happens. Yep. Um, I think that was a really good segue, though, into the Equality Act, which is we I learned a, l- a little bit about that with Nancy Pelosi last year. Yes. Um, basically, the Equality Act like protects by you tell us what it is. The Equality Act recognizes the fact that more than half of the states in the United States do not have legal protections for people uh, preventing or giving them the tools to fight back against discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. And so it would be the first sweeping federal protection against discrimination in essential parts of our lives. You know, having a roof over our head, so housing, being able to work and uh, not be discriminated against or fired because of sexual orientation or gender identity so we can... um, you know, protect our families. Um, it would uh, protect uh, the LGBTQ community in many other areas, public accommodation. So if you come in to a place that holds itself out for commerce, you'll be served and you won't be turned away because of Uh, sexual orientation or gender identity. It's a sweeping federal law that would protect people despite sexual orientation. uh, It it would uh, be a law that you could use if you were discriminated against in employment, housing, issuance of credit, uh, uh, public accommodations. uh, What about the trans ban in the military? Would it do anything with that? Sadly, it wouldn't. There are some exemptions uh, for military, small business, and uh, religious institutions. Um, but what it does is it amends the Civil Rights Act of 1967 mm. and adds to uh, the protected categories of race, religion, and sex sexual orientation and gender identity. And why that's so important is because, like, if you were, like... Because you said that, like, what, 21 states have... Only 21 states have laws, specifically? And inclusive laws. So when I say 29 states don't... 29 states don't, yes. It doesn't mean they don't have any civil right law, but it might be that it covers... Um, you know, the gay and lesbian community, but not the transgender community. That's actually the case in Wisconsin, where, um, interestingly, we were the first state in the country to protect people on the basis of sexual orientation from discrimination in housing, education, uh, employment, and public accommodations. Um, But the state legislature has never re- open that to add gender identity and expression into the underlying statute. So while we, you know, pride ourselves in being the first state in 1982 to pass a law like this, and by the way, it was signed into law by a Republican governor. Mm. So those many years ago, and yet we've never uh, seen um, our legislature act again to expand it. Um, And so you'd say you have partial coverage. If you're transgender in Wisconsin, it's a big question mark whether you could get the protections if you were fired for that reason. Which is 
So we, this is such important legislation because it does yes. protect so many people in so many places that like, because I would think of states, I mean, I'm pulling this out of a hat like I don't know. So maybe Jonathan don't say it, but I'm going to anyway. It's like, I think of like a, a state like in Alabama or something where maybe like a bigger city, like like a bigger city would have like a, a Sydney or a city ordinance that protects mm-hmm. like LGBTQ. But maybe like if you're in a county that's like outside of that city and you aren't protected. So this is something that you could use you could find someone to help represent you like pro bono, like an ACLU or whoever to like help you get the, get your rights restored, get your thing restored that was taken away and have a legal basis to do so. Absolutely. And everyone would have those protections. Um, You know, I would add that, uh, yeah, it's a patchwork quilt. So you have the 21 States that have comprehensive laws, but in the other States there's perhaps municipal law or, Maybe your company that you work for has a non-discrimination policy that they enforce, but your landlord might not. Right. So has this has um has the Equality Act passed the House? No. In fact, it's just been introduced this week. Okay. So um, in both houses, we're we're very excited about getting this process rolling. Now that we have a new pro-equality House of Representatives. But are we worried about it passing the Senate? Well, so let's take it one step at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay, okay, yeah don't borrow trouble. Don't borrow trouble. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. No, no, I'm just saying that. But it's like, stay focused, stay focused. I get I, it. That's good. I believe that when the House holds hearings and establishes a legislative record of why this is necessary, brings in witnesses to tell their stories gets greater attention, people start calling their members of Congress saying this is so important to, you know, my cousin or my grandkid or me, whoever. And and so you start a movement that is already moving, but, yes. you know, this is... And then we have a vote on the House floor. And we have a moment where we pivot away from the Mueller investigation and we say, oh, my gosh, the House of Representatives, for the first time ever passed the Equality Act. Okay, that's a milestone. It's not the end, but it's a milestone. And then you say, all right, in the best of all possible worlds, we'd be able to convince Mitch McConnell, the majority leader of the Republican-dominated Senate, to push this bill for a vote in the Senate. A lot of people um, hold great doubt that he'd ever be willing to do that. Because he already said he would not. He would Green New Deal, but he said he would not do the uh, voting reform. So so you have this obstacle. And so what I think the milestone of first time a House in Congress passes something like this, it tells us how important the next set of elections are. Which I the next twenty twenty is so yes. so important for the Senate. So important, and, and I so, think we have a better chance in twenty, especially for the Senate, than because we were defending so many. Like it was just like it was really touch and go. It was really touch and we go. We were defending so many vulnerable, uh, much vulnerable Democrats. Yeah, in in states that Trump won either by a huge margin or a tiny margin. And but but I just think you know so we celebrate the milestone of House passage and I really think it will happen, and then we say, um, this is part of a movement, and we keep on working and we keep on organizing and we keep on voting and we keep on telling our stories. Uh, yes, comma, it's like when I was in Atlanta shooting queer, I met this like Uber driver and when I was talking to him about. Um, about Karen Handel and John Ossoff. And I was like, are you registered? The special election's like next week. Like this is such a big election. This would be such a message. And he's like, no, like nothing's going to change. Like whether I do or I don't, like I, I'm not registered. And I think that there is, because even hearing about like celebrating the passage of a, the house, like the house just passed that gun reform bill. I was really excited about it. That's a huge, huge, huge major marker. But then I think about like the Mitch McConnell's of the Senate and that may not become the law of the land because it, and even if it did, like, would Trump, like, what would he do with it? And it's, I think for young people that deal with either the effects of the inability to get things passed or the consequences of 
you know, the the lobbyist money of the NRA and, and the healthcare and blah, blah, blah. How do you deal with like voter apathy and just, and vote, or not apathy, but just voter like, oh, it's not going to change. and not going to, like, you've been making laws and keeping up your passionate fire since you were 24 years old. I think that's, how do you do it? Like, how do you keep inspired and keep going in the face of fucking Mitch McConnell? Like, wow. So I, I look at it in a number of ways and just want to give some, you know, gentle reminders to people in our community who are, are listening. Um, you know, as I said, I was first elected to office in 1986. Um, and I learned about this group of out LGBTQ elected officials who were going to meet to basically network and support each other. And it's like, I got to be there. This is so great. And I go to the conference and there's 14 of us. And then we're all talking together, like, who are we missing? And we're like trying to figure out every other out elected official that we've ever heard of. And we calculate at the time that we think they're about 24 worldwide. Wow. And now we're in 2019 and last year, 244 openly gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender elected officials or candidates were elected to office, half of them non-incumbents. So I went from being in a room with 14, I was one of the 14, and there were 13 others. It was like, you know, we're like a little family. I knew everything about all of them. And now... Our voices are present all around, and we're just going to keep on moving in that direction. But seeing change between 1986, and you know, we can go back to Stonewall, it's the 50th anniversary of Stonewall this year, and you think a lot of this took a really long, long time. And a lot of it was really painful, and a lot of it, you know, people were angry because it couldn't happen soon enough. And now we've gone through this amazing eight-year period where we saw in eight years the passage of the Matthew Shepard James Byrd Hate Crimes Prevention Act. We saw the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. We saw the Supreme Court of the United States say it is time for marriage equality. And I think a lot of people in our community said, okay, we've done it. We're equal now. And then we look at the fact that 29 states still don't have comprehensive protections for people in our community. And so we have that mix of, you know, the the engagement we saw last year and all these breakthroughs. And then we're used to things happening quickly now. Yeah, I like a quick thing. Right? I do too. It's Equality is kind of urgent. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and so I think that... um, I think we have to realize that it's a long fight. And, you know, I, I when I was first elected and um, I was talking to, I, I was often asked to talk to groups about LGBT issues because they were sort of new on their radar screen. And so I'd go and oftentimes, you know, it would be like after church at the cookies and coffee in the basement. I love and the I, social hour after church. Isn't it so great? Yeah. So, so tell us about the agenda. And, you know, so I, I do talks like that. But whenever I was asked by, like, a LGBTQ organization to talk, I was always talking about Government 101. And, like, we've got to get a lot more sophisticated about how this works. And it's not like just, you know, get me elected and then we're done. It's like, you're learning your skills. You're honing your skills. Now we got to keep on going. Um, that made me cry really hard. <laughs> um, it's just really amazing to hear you say it like that. And I also think we we just had an episode come out a few weeks ago about um, it was like why do I remember like the negative comments so much more than the positive ones? And it makes me think of how you said like if it bleeds, it leads. Like mm-hmm. it just. That, of course, that's going to stick out more in my mind than, like, all of the progress that we have made. So that makes me feel so much more hopeful. Like, we have been doing pretty good. 
Which leads me to this voter suppression. She is a nightmare, and it's mm-hmm. really pervasive. It's like it's it's really become something in Georgia, and 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 really in a lot of places in the country. We saw what happened in that congressional district in North Carolina. Yes. It's never too early to start talking about like registering people. Um, we know that we're not going to get help from that, Mitch. Which also, by the way, I'm sorry I cussed right before I referred to your boss. I need to be more professional. You handled that like such a pro. Namaste. Like you are just you are so good. Like, so good. Uh, so professional. I just really, like, you are just so good. Like, wow, wow, wow. Um, uh, and my yeah. bosses are the people of the state of Wisconsin. Uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not your boss, just, like, the guy who runs your office. Like, not office, but, like, your shared floor at your office. Who's the whip? Who Who's, like, the minority leader? Chuck Schumer. Oh, yeah, we, of course, of course, of course. Da, 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 stupidest question I've ever asked. Duh. And then who's like the second? How many is there? Is it like the varsity squad of senators or something? So it's the uh, Democratic leader and then the Democratic whip, and that's um, Dick Durbin. Oh, from Illinois. Yes. We love him. And then there's uh, a number of other members of the leadership team. I am uh, the secretary of the Democratic caucus. Ooh. Love. I don't know what the rank is. It's it's behind, you know, there's several in between Dick Durbin and me. But but I do like being on the leadership team because I can really bring into the room and into the discussion, you know, the issues of the industrial heartland and, um, you know, things about Wisconsin, but also my unique life experiences and perspectives to help inform our agenda. We'll that's be right. why we need more diversity in the Republican caucus. Oh, wow. That's we're, that's a really good thing to come back on. Uh, we're going to take a really quick break. We'll be right back with more Getting Curious after the break. Welcome back to Getting Curious. We are with Senator Tammy Baldwin. Uh Yes, the Republican caucus needs more diversity. I hope that continues to happen. But I have one more question before I go back to the voter suppression thing. Mm -hmm. What's the deal with being like a senior senator from your state and like the newly like, does that matter? Like, does like, does a senior senator from your state get to like pick their chair first or something? Or is there like some like legislative rules or something? Is that is, is or is it what's the deal? Well, there's a number. Seniority is always important. In the uh, Senate, it's important in the House, too. Uh, Most of the committee assignments and the committee chairmanships and ranking member positions are pretty much based on seniority. But it's Mm -hmm. not seniority like the senior and junior senator from a state. It's more seniority within your party on that committee. So, like, when Senator McClaskill lost, that was, like, because she was pretty senior. Like, she'd been there for a second. And she was the uh, highest-ranking Democrat on the Homeland Security Committee. So when she um, wasn't able to return in the 116th, that went to the next person in line. Uh, And so that's kind of how—so senior is really important— um, it also has some relevance to much more minor things like picking office space or, you know, whatever. But, but he wasn't and, and worrying our, about our that. our chairs on the floor where, you know, we have desks. Yes. Um, oh, my so God. Was are, yours, like, the same as, like, is, like, well, or does, like, the Pennsylvania people get, like, whoever. Was Benjamin Franklin from Pennsylvania? I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. So you can pick a desk if nobody else has it and is unwilling to give it up. So when I was a like not even sworn in as a senator, so we're doing our f- freshman orientation. This is right after the election in 2012, and the Senate historian is telling us all about some of the history of the Senate. And I said, you know, can you request a desk? And they're like, yes. So you know, like school children, senators are known to carve their names in their desk or sign them, and you can uh, open this drawer. So I asked for the Robert M. LaFollette's senior desk. Fighting Bob LaFollette was the founder of the Progressive Party and was a Wisconsin senator. 
a hundred years ago. I'm in his seat a hundred years later. And how cool! How cool is that? So I sit at his desk. I love that. Yeah. So okay, voter suppression, yes. gerrymandering, um, hard pivot. Uh, registering people seems to be really important. Talk and, and you know, like you, you always say, like don't talk about politics and religion. I think we like have to talk about politics more, mm-hmm. like with people in the grocery store, people at your yoga class. Like you just have to chat about it more. So, but how do we get more people registered to vote? Well, in some states where they are forward-looking, they have something they would refer to as automatic registration. So maybe you get your driver's license. I guess you can get that at 16. You can't vote till you're 18. But, but, but basically, something that sort of automatically gets you queued up. You can opt out and say, I don't want to be registered to vote. But uh, I, anything one can do to sort of encourage it and make it easy and bring it to people is obviously great. In Wisconsin, one of the few reforms we've kept holding on to is uh, same-day registration, so that if you've forgotten to register every single day up until Election Day and say, well, I'm not registered, I can't vote. Well, in Wisconsin, we can come to your door and say, oh, it doesn't matter that you're not yet registered. Just grab your photo ID and proof of your residence and come with me to the polls, and you're going to be able to register to vote right there. Other states have... You know, you have to register 30 days in advance or 60 days in advance. And then there's a lot of things um, that states have been doing, like um, pulling people off the registration list. We saw that with Georgia a lot. And that's not the only state that's done that. Um, we've seen... What do you think are... Because, I mean, I know some of those are not trying to cut you off. But like, what do you think... Have you seen any powerful antidotes to that? Have you seen any effective ways that we can maybe get ahead of that? I I think, you know, it's basic civics and we can do it door to door. Um, I, you know, I, I have that's some, interesting. I, I have some roots in organizing and it's, you know, you deserve to have a voice. Um, you need to use that voice. Voting is one of the ways you exercise your rights and uh, so one of the things we did in Wisconsin was look at how is it that in this state that has had some progressive traditions that Trump won by 22,000 votes in 2016. Which is not that many. Or is that a lot for Wisconsin? That's not that many. And so Because Madison's looked, huge. And Milwaukee's even yeah. huger. <laughs> yeah. But Madison's kind of like the liberal bastion of the Midwest, I feel like, that's not Chicago. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think there there's places uh, everywhere where um, I... My first gay kiss I ever saw was in Madison. Oh, really? Yes. Like, I saw a gorgeous gay kiss between these two gorgeous ladies, like, on this lake. And I was like, <gasps> I was like eight. And I was like, oh, my God, I think I just saw two ladies kiss. Like, and then I think... Like, I was, like, just jumping up and down. And then my mom was like, get it together. Like, cause <laughs> not she didn't see what I was jumping and clapping at. She just saw me, like, spinning in circles because, like, I have always just loved gay stuff. But anyway. <laughs> okay, so. Um, Antidotes to gerrymandering and, and voter right. suppression. So, so what happened in 16 is too many people stayed home. And uh, we kind of looked at why is this? And we, some of it. Um, you know, was the actions that our state legislature had taken to make it harder, uh, make early voting harder. So if you're really super busy on election day and can't get to the early voting helps resolve those sort of things. And a lot of countries like take the voting day off. Like it's like a holiday. A holiday, right. Or it's, you know, a weekend or, you know, there's also vote by mail in many states. But, um, you know, in Wisconsin, it was important to look at all of the things that were obstacles and that didn't work out very well and start trying to reverse them. And so I think one of it was one of the things that really helped in 18 was all of the um, organizing groups that had kind of flourished in the last two years before that. So we had Indivisible, we had Move On, we had the Women's March organizers, mm. we had um, the March for Our Lives organizers, I mean, it was just amazing. And people each took it upon themselves to register 
friends, family, neighbors, um, and that really all made a difference. And really, when you think about it, at this time next year, it's March already, for crying out loud. At this time next year, like we're only going to have eight more months before the election. And I remember like on like November like 9th, 2016, I was like, has it been bad? Yes. 18 was cute. Better. Like that was like a gorgeous, you know, blue storm surge. It wasn't the tidal wave that I wanted, but I do think it was a strong storm surge. Uh, but 20, like got to really keep looking forward, stay focused, like not let this like hoobaloo of all of these investigations like throw us off. You know, so that you can do your job and like legislate gorgeous things, which is really like the Equality Act. We got to get that yes. passed. Do you think that the do you know what the gun act title is? Like, what was it called? I don't remember the title, but I know that it was um, dealing with comprehensive background checks, which I mean, it's above 90 percent of Americans, gun owners and not who believe that we should have comprehensive background checks. Um, but the other headline of that was it was the first significant action either house has taken in a quarter century. Right. And then look at the news headlines every day, every week. You know, like how could that have been 25 years that and so that's, you know, again, it's a milestone. It's not law, but it's a really really critical milestone. So to me it's like I do see this and it is, and we do need to celebrate milestones. Like Cromwell's always telling me that, like that's you know got to celebrate our victories, and that's really really good. But you know, I do see this when I think of a lot of Republican leadership. I think the NRA definitely has to be giving them some serious money because they have been so steadfast in preventing any legislation from coming to the floor. I mean, there's a reason why there's been nothing brought to the floor for 25 years, um, and they also don't want any sort of. Um, real legislation on like dark money and like and 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 uh finance reform. So it seems to me that there like is this very broken system that's in place and the guardians of the broken system are not going anywhere. So cuz the forward thinking states that I'm sure have like the protections that you know like those aren't the ones like those aren't the Kentuckys that are electing the McConnells that are preventing any real change from happening. Cuz even like marijuana reform like Look at what Sessions did with that. And now it's just like not gone anywhere. And there are so many people of color who are like doing years and years in jail for like having a dime bag. Like I, based off that, I should be in jail right now, you know, but it doesn't happen to white people on the same level that it does to people of color. It's like so crazily disproportionately enforced. Um, So really, though, the answer to that is we got to go door to door. We got to talk about it all the time. We got to make it cute and fun and interesting and engaging to talk about it, which, wow, did you ever like make it interesting and engaging to talk to? Um, sorry that I talk so much. I think I talk so much and interrupted so much because I'm so nervous to be in the same room with you that it is making me vomit words at a, at a rate that I have almost, it's unparalleled. Um, I'm going to not talk for like two minutes. Uh, well, Tell me all the things that we need to talk about that I have prevented you from saying. (laughs) (laughs) I thought about the situation we found this country in and certainly looking very focusedly at Wisconsin and, you know, people just hadn't come out to vote and elections have consequences. And it's like, you know, what can we do? Um, and, And I think mostly it's reminding each other that we have power. Remember, I started this interview by telling you about my being a middle schooler. How did I get interested in politics? I was in middle school and I was working all these projects and it helped people's lives and they said, oh my God, thank you. And I was like, this feels really great. You know, what What if I could keep on doing this? But, you know, I get to do it from a perch in the United States Senate you can do something at every level, in every place. And whether that's sharing your story and um, informing people, whether it's, um, you know, trying to fix a problem right around the corner in your neighborhood, or whether it's trying to fix a global problem like existential issues like climate change, or whether it's somewhere in between, we all have the power. And the worst thing in a democracy is for us to throw up our hands and not be engaged because just the people you were talking about, the 
the rich, the powerful, the I think of the Koch brothers and Richard Uline, who spent so much money to try to defeat me in this last election. But he didn't. They, they and didn't. now you don't have to go till they, 20, right? Like you don't have to go until like 24. Yes. <laughs> Work. But we have to recognize they have yeah. an agenda. And, you know, whether they're trying through their contributions to campaigns to buy a senator who will do their bidding or they're just funding lobbyists or just making campaign donations so that no one stands up to the big pharmaceutical companies, no one stands up to the fossil fuel. You know, it, How can we find that, like, for the average voter? Because it's only when the average voters stand up to that that we can win. I would not be reelected to the United States Senate if hardworking people across the state said, we're not going to let these outsiders come and buy a Senate seat. Who are they? We're going to speak up for ourselves and, um, and, and we're going to elect people who are fighting for us. <sighs> I love that story. So you seem like a very focused, positive, well-spoken person. I can only assume that from your vantage point, you know a lot of stuff that like maybe other that we don't know, like just because of your job. Um, how do you like, should we be as scared as I feel sometimes? Like, is this 74? Like, are we going to be our, our constitution is strong enough to stand up to this, right? Like we're doing it right. I, so like how worried are you? (laughs) I've been very concerned about, uh, overreach, uh, sort of power being exercised outside of what I consider to be the constitutional bounds um, you know, we have a vote this week on uh, the president's use of the emergency authority uh, to try to take money that Congress said is intended for specific purposes and use it for something else. Which were military purposes. So they were intended for um, military construction projects, whether that's recovering from hurricanes that have demolished parts of uh, bases or barracks or family housing for military families. All of those um, are the targeted projects to pay for a wall that President Trump said that Mexico would pay for. So um, when I see instances like that where the clear language of the U.S. Constitution says Congress uh, has the power of the purse and the president, you know, sort of executes the or implements, um, you know, what Congress passes and he signs. I, I worry a lot. I will be much less worried about getting us back onto the right course if the American voters participate in 2020. Um, And let this vote on the national emergency really be a good litmus test to people listening and really talk to your families about this because this, our constitution is very clear on this. And Republicans that would vote to not end this emergency um, are really shooting themselves in the foot, I think, because Republicans are supposed to be about small government and not executive branch overreach. And this is prime executive branch overreach. It's It flies in the face of, I mean, if Obama had done something is equally outrageous and not, like if he had done the Affordable Care Act through executive order and not had it passed from the House and the Senate and had it held up in the Supreme Court 15,000 times, it would be, I don't even know what it would be. So you do need to be calling your Republican senators and talking to them them about this and making sure that they vote to rescind this national emergency because it is clearly not one. And for someone who has talked so much about we're going to be tired of winning so much to take money from our military that he so 
has been so inflammatory to his base to support, I just think is insane. So talk to your senators. Yes. Um, and thank call. you so much for taking your time. Call who? Call who? Call who and tell us what? Call all your elected officials. Do you have like a cool senator hotline that you know about that we don't know about? Oh, there is one. But just, you know, Google it and everyone... Do that text thing that everyone's always talking about. Do you get those? When they say text your senator at like blah, blah, just, does your chief of staff be like, Senator, these are blowing up. Like, you better, like, do, like, do they give you the voicemails or are you like, I'm legislating. I'm not going to listen to your voicemail. I absolutely um, try to track what's coming into our office. So, you know, communication is so many different mediums these days. But I get a daily report on phone calls. I get a weekly report on emails and, you know, U.S. Postal Service mail. That still is used, by the way. So Um, do that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we really track. We want to know what people are concerned about, like what topics are people uh, writing about. Uh, We also want to be able to get back to people who say, I just want to know your position on this, Madam Senator, and, you know, like we'll get back to them. Okay, so I talked so much. This one's gone way over. Everyone's fidgeting so much. I love you guys so much. Thanks for being patient. Last 45 seconds, we talked about everything I could ever have wanted to talk about, I hope. But is there anything you want to say on these last 45 seconds? It's like the yoga part and like the end of the class when you wanted to do like hero pose, but I didn't teach it. You know, like you wanted, you got 45 seconds on the floor. What you want? You want to say anything? Know your power. Use your voice. Tell your story. Wow. Every crucial moment of this podcast you really delivered ah anyway folks i have to go so does senator baldwin she's legislating i'm legis i'm not legislating i'm just late thank you so much thank you you've been listening to getting curious with me jonathan van ness my guest this week was senator tammy baldwin you'll find links to senator baldwin's work and socials in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on you can follow me on instagram and twitter at jbn our theme music is freak by quinn thank you so much to her for letting us use it if you enjoyed our show honey leave us that gorgeous review maybe introduce a little friend um share the links on your social we really appreciate you spreading the word um if you were uh you know worried about things the way i'm worried about things like send some of these episodes to like your aunt linda or the person that just needs Needs to hear this. So thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time on Getting Curious. Hey guys, it's Ashir and Nicole from Best, Best Friends. Our podcast has been out for a few months. If you haven't listened to it, you should. We've already asked the big questions in life. Imagine if we could lay eggs. Okay, sure. <laughs> I guess we. Wouldn't that be funny if you could eat from yourself? No, because that's like cannibalism. Not when you eat yourself. What? Hmm? Answer listener questions. Hi, Nicole and Sashir. What happens if Sashir dies first? I mean, I've never thought of that. Well, I would be so sad. <laughs> oh, no, Nicole. Nicole. <laughs> I'm not going to die. Take BuzzFeed quizzes. Let's pick eight foods and we'll give you a sex position to try. Whoa. This is wild. Plus, we bring on other funny best friends to talk about their friendship. I almost want to cry. I feel, I don't know why that really made me feel emotional. But it's because <laughs> it's pure to talk about it friendship. It's nice. It's so nice. It's like so rare to like articulate it, but she's always there for me. Like I, I think she's just somebody who. <laughs> oh, I love this. I love it so much. Oh my God. It's really sweet. Best Friends with Nicole Byer and Sashir Zameda is new every Wednesday. On Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen. Oh, my God. To it. 